What happens if the politicians in Washington can't reach an agreement on the debt ceiling and the U.S. government defaults on its obligations? And what should we do, if anything, to prepare for that possibility? Those are the questions we're going to tackle in today's video. Hey everybody, my name is Rob Berger. This is the Financial Freedom Show, where we talk about investing, retirement, and financial freedom. If those topics are important to you, I encourage you to subscribe to the channel. I also send out a newsletter every Sunday morning. You can sign up for that with the link below this video. So this is probably not the feel-good video of the year, at least not for me, uh, but it's something that I think is important, and I've received a lot of questions from folks via email on this very topic. As you probably know, the United States actually technically reached its debt ceiling back in January. That's when the Treasury D Department started to do what's called extraordinary measures. They take those, those extraordinary measures to sort of basically rob Peter to pay Paul to keep the government running. It does allow them to meet all of the government's obligations, including the repayment of uh, bonds and, and interest on the U.S. government uh, debt. But the day is coming when, unless the debt ceiling is raised, they won't be able to do that even using extraordinary measures. That date is called the X date. Why is it called the X date? Well, because no one really knows the exact date. They've only got estimates in part because uh, the U.S. government does continue to receive tax revenues. We don't finance 100% of our obligations. We do actually pay for some of, some of our obligations with tax revenue. But some have put the X date in June. Others have said perhaps July or the third quarter of this year. So what I want to do in this video, we're going to talk just a bit about the history of the debt ceiling. And then we're going to dive into three big questions. And that is, what is the effect of the debt ceiling crisis, even if it's resolved before the X date? And we've already seen some effects of this crisis already, as I'll show you. Then we're going to look at what, at least in theory, could happen if the worst case does uh, turn out and we go by the X date and the government defaults on some of its obligations for some period of time. What are the, what's the likely fallout of that? And then finally, just a few comments on what, if anything, should we do now to maybe prepare for that possibility? So let's dive right in. So the, the, the debt ceiling actually dates all the way back to 1917 when it was first enacted, and it effectively, in theory, gives Congress control over how much the government uh, can borrow. That's sort of the, the rationale, that, that the government can't just go borrowing money uh, unchecked. So, you know, uh, checks and balances in our form of government, it gives Congress some control over it. Of course, as you no doubt know, the debt ceiling has gone up and up and up as the borrowing and the, the total debt of our country has gone up. In fact, here's a chart that shows you recent history. I say recent, from the 1980s. And uh, as you can see, boy, this back here in 1980, where we're looking at like a trillion dollar debt ceiling, boy, doesn't that seem like a walk in the park? As you, as you can no doubt see here from 2010 to our current situation, it's more, uh, I guess it's tripled. Uh, of course, the, the, the pandemic played a big role in that. You can see the big jump right here in, 20, in 2020 and 2021. So we're currently standing at 31.4 trillion dollars. So that's sort of the the, the current state of, of, of play. And um, we, of course, have to raise the debt ceiling in the next couple of months, or even the extraordinary measures won't allow the government to meet its obligations. And that raises a big question. All right. Have there been any effects already from this uh, debt ceiling crisis? And what are the perhaps uh, upcoming effects 
if the crisis isn't resolved soon and we maybe we don't go past the X date, whenever that is, but maybe we get close to it like we did in 2011, what would be the consequences there? And so let's dive right in. We've already got some consequences that we're seeing in the T-bill, the Treasury bill market. Let me show you that. Uh, this is um, from Treasury. These are the yields on Treasury bills and, 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 and notes and bonds from one month Treasury bills here to the long bond, 30 years here. Let's actually start with a 30-year long bond. This is the yield at the beginning of this month in April, 3.64. Today, or as of the 24th, uh, it's 3.73, so not, not a significant change. Uh, what, that's uh, nine basis points. But now let's go to the one month. It started at 470, and look at this. It's now down to 354. It was actually down to 336 last week, but now it's 334. Let's compare that, say, to the three month. It started at 490. Not only did it not go down like the one month did, it actually went up to 520. So it raises a question, well, wait a minute, why is the one-month T-bill behaving differently? Look, it's even behaving differently than the two-month, which started at 479 and is now up to 509. And that gets us back to that X date that we don't know about. One of the things that folks believe is that with a one-month treasury, you'll get your money back before the X date. We're in April, so you're going to get your, your uh, return on, on a one-month T-bill in May. And so you don't have to worry about the X date, whether it's in June or July, you don't have to, to worry about it. And so a lot of investors have been piling into one month treasury bills. That's increased the price of, one, of the one month treasury uh, bill. And that of course has caused the yield to go down. Now with two month or three month or longer, that gets us into that X date range. And that's got some folks a little nervous. And so they haven't been piling into those uh, 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 duration T-bills. And so that hasn't caused the price to spike. In fact, it's gone down a little bit as we saw and yields have actually gone up. And that raises the question, well, who are all these buyers and sellers? Are they investors like you and me? Well, perhaps in part, but actually uh, it could be in the money market funds space because you have money market funds invest, at least some of them do in treasury uh, bills and they have to be concerned about liquidity. And so they may be concerned about investing in T-bills that could mature around that X date. And so they've been focused on one month treasury bills, at least to some extent, and perhaps avoiding, let's say two or three month treasury bills, at least in relative terms. And that's why we're seeing the yields fluctuate and go down on the one month T-bill, uh, but at the same time go up on two and three month treasury bills. I think as we get closer and more clarity on exactly when the X date might be, we're likely to see this kind of uh, movement in the short-term treasury bill markets. Of course, we'll keep an eye on it. I I'm not one to generally predict the future, uh, but we are already seeing that in the T-bill market now. So that's, that's one consequence we're already seeing. A second one will be, particularly as the crisis moves on and gets closer and closer to the X date, increased government borrowing costs. As people get nervous about whether the government will actually make payments on uh, interest payments on, on, on their borrowings and repay principal when it comes due, the cost of borrowing goes up. A GAO report from the 2011 debt ceiling crisis concluded uh, that uh, US government uh, borrowing costs increased by 1.3 billion, that's with a B, billion dollars, because of that debt ceiling 
crisis. And remember, it did get resolved before the X date, although it came down to the wire. In 2013, there was also a debt ceiling crisis, but not nearly to the same extent as 2011. It also increased a borrow, government borrowing, according to the GAO, by, but by a lot less. They estimated 38 to $70 million. But I think the big takeaway is it can and will increase government borrowing costs, particularly if the crisis continues closer and closer to that X date. Now, that in turn, like it or not, is going to increase the cost for consumers, for you and me, to borrow every money for everything from a house uh, to cars. Again, I don't think we can know the exact uh, effects on borrowing costs, but I think it's a, it's a, a reasonable conclusion that as, as government borrowing costs go, go up, as interest rates generally rise, it's going to affect consumers as well. What else could happen? Well, stock market declines. In this, again, remember, we're still talking about the government not going past that X date. They resolve it before then, but we can still see start stock market declines because it makes the market nervous. And we saw that in 2011, the stock market went down significantly. It actually continued to go down even after the debt ceiling crisis was resolved. Why? Remember, our credit rating, the U.S. government's credit rating was reduced by S&P. Again, they didn't default on any obligations, but they went right down to the wire. That caused the rating agency to lower the rating on U.S. government debt. And that roiled markets as well. There is an irony there. Uh, for you uh, stock and bond market historians, you may recall that after that happened, uh, folks actually did what? They actually poured more money into bonds. Why? Because uh, they basically was a flight to safety. Yeah, folks still viewed U.S. Treasuries as a very, very safe place to put money. And so there was a lot of action in the, in the Treasury bond markets in August of 2011 uh, when this crisis was unfolding and then resolving. I think the big takeaway here is that a lot of bad things can happen even if this debt ceiling gets uh, resolved before the X date. And the longer it takes to resolve it, the more significant those consequences could be. Now, that gets us into the second thing. Well, what happens if we actually default? And I think it's a, a fair to say, I don't think it's an overstatement to say that if the government actually defaults on its obligations, particularly if, if they do so over any you know, period of time, as it gets longer and longer, the results would be catastrophic. And I'm not one to use the, that word lightly, but I think it's a, a, a fair, um, I, I guess I'll call it uh, expectation should the government default. Now, let's talk specifics. First of all, uh, there would be plans in place for the government to repay principal on, on treasuries, on bonds uh, that, that are maturing during this, we'll call it default period and even to pay interest. You might say, well, how, how would they actually do that? Well, the theory is this, they could pay principal on maturing bonds by actually borrowing more money because they wouldn't be increasing the government's overall debt. They'd be borrowing, oh, we'll call it $100 billion here, but then repaying the principal on $100 billion in maturing debt so that the overall uh, uh, debt of the US government doesn't go up. Now, there's a big assumption there, and that is that folks will actually be willing uh, to roll over their debt or to invest in more treasury bonds while the government is in this uh, default period. But that's a big question. We haven't actually tested that. Uh, but in theory, that's what they would do. They would borrow money and then take that money and repay the principal on maturing debt. Now, what about interest payments? Well, 
The theory here is that they would prioritize payments uh, of interest on the debt over other obligations. Remember, it won't be that the government doesn't have any money at all. They are getting tax revenues every month. Of course, it varies from month to month, as we know. Uh, in April, uh, when we file our, our tax returns, they get a lot more tax revenue than they do in other months, but they are still getting tax revenue every month. Uh, they don't borrow 100% of their obligations, thank goodness. And so uh, one theory is that they could prioritize interest payments on debt above other obligations. And in fact, if we go back to 2011, that was part of the plan as Treasury and the Fed were trying to figure out what they were going to do if the debt ceiling crisis wasn't resolved. Now, uh, what about other obligations, though? And uh, what about things like Social Security? Uh, Medicare? How about paying our military and government employees or government contractors? How would the U.S. government handle uh, that? Well, one approach would be, again, prioritize. This was actually an approach that was uh, uh, suggested by Republicans earlier this year. And the idea being they might prioritize, say, Social Security and Medicare payments, as an example, and payments to uh, the, the military. Uh, Studies, though, have, have shown that that's not necessarily possible. The, it, it's, it, the government's uh, computer systems aren't designed to do that. They, they make tens of millions of payments a month, and it's, it's not at all clear that they have the technical capability to prioritize paying this bill, but not that bill. And of course, then there are, there are legal issues uh, that no doubt could arise from that approach, but that's at least in theory, one possible approach. Another approach would be just reduce payments. This is how much money we have, so we'll just reduce all payments by 20% or 30% or 40%, whatever percent is necessary based on how much cash they, ha they happen to have on hand in a given month. Again, lots of problems there. The biggest one is just, again, technical. They just don't have the computer systems that actually allow them uh, to do that. So it doesn't seem like a very practical solution. Uh, another possibility, they could just sell assets. They've got a lot of gold. They've got mortgage-backed securities. They could just start selling assets. All of these possibilities, by the way, I'm not just making up. They've actually been considered. In fact, I'll show you a report. Uh, this was back in 2012, again, as a result of the 2011 crisis. This was from the Office of the Inspector General, the Department of the Treasury, to the Senate Finance uh, Committee, where they actually walked through these theoretical I'll, I'll call them uh, responses, if the government should uh, get past the X date and default on obligations. Uh, but for each of the ones I've mentioned so far, for the reasons I've discussed, they've said not very practical, not very good idea. And selling assets, they concluded the same thing. Not very likely it, it, would, it would undermine uh, uh, the world's confidence in, in the U.S. and its financial strength. It just wouldn't happen. And so it raises the question, okay, then what would they do? And it's basically delay payments until they have enough money to pay all of their obligations from on a day-to-day -day basis. So it could mean getting your Social Security check, but getting it late. Now, one reality with this is that if the default continued for, for a long enough period of time, the delays would actually get worse. If we think about it, the, the impact on the economy, will, and we'll actually talk about that in just a minute, but it would get worse and worse and worse. And so the result would be the U.S. government would get uh, less dollars coming in in the form of tax payments. And so 
Uh, it may be that they have to delay payments and make payments as, as they have the funds on a day-to-day -day basis, but that delay could get longer and longer and longer over time. So I know I told you this wasn't going to be the feel-good video of the year. I'm just laying it out there for you. By the way, all the things I've shown you, and I'm going to show you a couple other things, uh, I will leave uh, in, uh, in, in links below this uh, video. So what about the economy? What bad things are going to happen? Well, there have been a lot of projections from 2011 and even more recently about what would happen if the government defaulted. I'll just show you a couple very quickly. Again, I'll link to all of these, but these were this was the possible uh, macroeconomic macroeconomic effects of a temporary federal uh, debt default. Um, here's one uh, from an economist, the cost of crisis-driven fiscal policy. Again, I'll link to all of this uh, below uh, the video. But what's the upshot of all of this? Well, the first is GDP would decline. Again, the amounts, different economists have different um, uh, conclusions on that. And of course, part of that would depend on how long the, de the, the defaults lasted, but GDP is going to go down. Market turmoil, uh, stock market's going to go down significantly. The estimates I've seen, about a third, but again, those are just estimates. I don't, I don't put a lot of stock into them, but I think it's fair to say that folks, uh, you know, the, the, the stock market would be in turmoil with lots of volatility. And, and a real big issue would be millions of lost jobs. Again, the exact numbers, I've seen numbers as high as 6 million. I've seen 2 and 3 million, but unemployment would definitely uh, go up. And if you think about it, delayed payments on Social Security, Medicare, government employees, government contractors, obviously would affect those individuals specifically, but then it would affect, uh, there would be carry-on effects as government contractors, of course, can't pay, the, pay their employees, can't pay their vendors, and, and so it would ripple through the economy. And so that's why I call this catastrophic. I don't think anyone, I don't think, I, I've yet to see an economist say, no, 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 this wouldn't be bad. The reality is it would be bad. Now, I suppose the good news, maybe for what it's worth, I find it really hard to believe we're going to get to that point. I know it's crazy. And you're saying, Rob, you live just outside Washington. You should know better than anyone else how how um, dysfunctional Washington can be. No, I get it. I really do. It just I, I just can't believe we would actually go over that cliff. Maybe I'm just being hopeful. But it raises sort of the third point for today's video. What in the world, if anything, should we do about it? Well, I can share what I'm going to do, do about it. And for the most part, it's do nothing, not completely. The first thing is I'm not changing anything about my investments. I, I even own treasury bills. Some will mature before uh, we think the X date might occur, but some uh, mature, say, in, later in the summer where the X date could occur. I'm not selling them. I'm not changing my stock bond allocation. I'm not running out of stocks. I'm leaving my investments uh, where they are, even if the worst case happened eventually, and it may be ugly, it's going to get resolved. I always like to think about 2011. How does the debt crisis from 2011 affect your investments today? I think the answer is not at all. Same thing with 2013. Uh, it, it just doesn't. It affects it in the moment. I'm a long-term investor. How will this affect my investments five years from now? Probably won't at all. So I'm not doing anything with my investments per se. But there are two things I, I am just going to make sure of. And that is, one, I have plenty of liquidity. I want to make sure I have money in the bank to cover my expenses for an extended period of time. But that's normally what I do anyway. It's called an emergency fund. Now, some of my emergency fund is in T-bills. Like I said, I'm not going to sell that. 
Uh, it'll mature when it matures, but I am making sure that I have a, a fair amount of money in bank accounts, which normally I do anyway, at least to cover three months. I just think that's a, a good general uh, a place to be, even in the best of times. And uh, so, uh, but I want to make sure that money is liquid. For me, it's a bank account. Importantly, I'm not going to have that money in a, in a money market fund, and particularly not a money market fund that invests in treasuries. Again, while I think the, the actual defaulting obligations, the risk of that is minimal, if that does happen, it could really put money market funds in a bad place, particularly those that invest in treasuries. So I want to have my money in an FDIC insured bank account to cover a, a, a few months. And I normally have that anyway, but I'm making, you know, double sure and checking the balances and calculating our monthly budget. Again, I don't think it's going to happen, but I'd rather prepare for the worst and hope for the best. The final thing I am doing is I am going to be looking for investing opportunities. We already saw the changes in T-bill yields. Frankly, if that got worse and people were fleeing three-month T-bills and the yields were going up, I'd probably buy some because eventually the government's going to pay me back. At least that would be my investing hypothesis. But I also might look to stocks as well. If the stock market really does fall by a third and I have the cash, and I, I hope I will, uh, I would be looking for investing opportunities if that happened. So there you go. That's my take on the debt ceiling. What's already happened, even as we the, the debt ceiling crisis you know, continues on, what in theory could happen if the U.S. government in fact defaults, and what I'm doing to kind of prepare and what I might do if investing opportunities come my way. Again, I'll link to everything I showed you in the notes, in the links below this video, including, by the way, this article here from the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget that I found incredibly helpful, and it's got links to a ton of resources. Well, there you go. If you have any questions, leave them in the comments below. I'll be happy to help you out any way I can. And until next time, remember, the best thing money can buy is financial freedom.